I don't want to have your conventional life. You know, that's not the life I want. I, you know, I, I'm a scuba diver. You know, I want to go and live in Tibet one day and like go climb Everest another day. <laughs> like I want to be everywhere. And so like for me in love wise, you know, I'm at a point in my life where I can say in complete, you know, that if it happens, well, great. You know, I'm going to love that person so much. But if I don't, it doesn't make me less of a person. It doesn't, you know, take away from anything. Hello and welcome to another episode of Love and Citizenship. We're nearing the end of the season and this is the penultimate episode. So I really appreciate you joining us on this journey. And it's surreal to me to even be in a position where I can introduce the second last episode. Because not so long ago, I never really thought that we'd get to this point. But the fact that we have, it, it, it fills me with a lot of hope and excitement. And... I'm really happy to report that we're doing a second season, so more exciting details to share about that over the next few weeks. But for today and this episode, I am truly, truly delighted to have my very old friend, Fernanda. And Fernanda and I have had this incredible friendship where we go years without speaking to each other and seeing each other. But there's every time we do, every time we speak to each other. It really rejuvenates us because I think I've met very few people in my life who know me as honestly and incredibly well as Fernanda does. And we've always, always shared that friendship. And this this episode is a is a very funny one to kind of talk about as well, because when I first met Fernanda, I had the biggest crush on her and we do get into it. We do talk about it and how that's, you know, informed our journey and our friendship. But I'm truly and so incredibly proud of this woman. I really am from like the person I met to the person that she is now. It fills me with so much joy. She's this incredible photographer. She's this scuba driver. And it brings me so much joy to see her doing the things she loves. And I'll have her handles linked down below. She really has some incredible photographs. And the day we recorded this, she also had one of her pictures featured for Nagio. So it's it's a lot of things coming together for her. And I suppose this this episode itself is a celebration of how far we've come as friends, as people. And I'm 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 definitely at the risk of mumbling now. So without further wait, my incredibly talented and wonderful friend from halfway across the world, Fernanda Cortina. Hello, everybody. <laughs> I'm Fernanda. Uh, like Brenna said, I'm in, I'm in Mexico City. I am a journalist. I'm a photographer. I love traveling. That's my biggest passion in the world. And like Pranav, I'm a big fan of writing and just really exploring life through art and through, you know, just looking at things. I think he and I have a really great friendship that has really grown since we met. And it's really funny mm-hmm. because we haven't seen each other in years. Yeah. <laughs> and we talked like it was yesterday. So it's really cool. And I'm really looking forward to, to having this talk. So thank you. I, I will include all these links in the description below. But Fernanda's picture recently got selected for Nadia. So that's also incredible. She's an incredible photographer. She is, as she said, we've, we've had this years of friendship. Last I think we saw each other was 2015. Which, <laughs> it's been a hot minute. Yeah, 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 yeah. when I graduated high school. Yeah. Six years? Wow. Oh my God. <laughs> so much has changed in that time as well. This was before I went to college. I was in uh, <laughs> Stansted. So again, what what we're talking about, and this might turn into just a conversation with two friends catching up after a while, but the general focus of the chat today for anybody listening in is going to be around our own individual journeys of love, uh, the growth in finding that process of what love meant to us. The many, because I'm sure both of us have them. I know I certainly do. The many awkward moments that came with like breakups, falling in love, weird things that kind of were part of growing up and understanding what it means to be an adult, I suppose, and just our own journeys of finding ourselves through it all. So I suppose to, to get the ball rolling, what is your idea of love. And I suppose what I mean by that is what is love for you? What it means to you now before we start unpacking what it meant to you at age 15, 14, whatever. (laughs) Well, you know, I've actually been thinking about this since we spoke about doing the podcast. And I have to say, I haven't found like a, a concrete answer because I think you don't know what love is until you find it. And I think it comes so differently for all kinds of people. 
So I think what I've learned through all these years is more towards what love isn't, you know, than what love is. I can't say that I've seen what love is going to look like for me when I find it. Mm -hmm. I've been in love, but I haven't found that love, you know, in relationship when you're with another person, which I think is different. But I've learned what I need and what I'm looking for and what I don't want and what is not good for me. And I think that might be a bit more of a helpful answer in a way. Yeah. Because, you know, we grow up with these ideas of what people tell us that love is. Mm-hmm. Like your parents told you, your friends told you, maybe your your aunts, your uncles, your grandparents, you saw it in movies. And for me, for example, I grew up watching Disney princesses. Yeah. And of course, that is a very unhealthy model of love. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's in the very least, it's problematic in a lot of ways, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean... It, learning to unpack those things that I grew up with and saying, okay, this is not something that I want, or this is not something that I need, or this is something that is actually not good for anybody. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's a much better answer because when you grow up with the idea of what love is and you don't really know what you're looking for, yeah. well, you get pretty lost in the process. But when you know what it isn't, then mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to sort of get there. No, I, th- I, I do think that's more... I don't want to say mature because it, of course it is that, but I think it's a more practical way of looking at it as well. Yeah. Although it sounds contradictory because love can't be practical, but like just in terms of it's, it's a better approach to understanding what love can be by cutting out what love really isn't. And because you kind of mentioned understanding and thinking about what love wasn't for you and knowing what it isn't, do you want to maybe talk a bit more about that? Yeah, definitely. Well, I think, and, and we've talked about this before, you know, my experience of romantic love, speaking of romantic love specifically, you know, I grew up with this idea of, you know, being sort of this princess that needs to be saved because that's what I was taught, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I I got into these particularly two relationships that were very damaging in the end. And as much as they, they created some kind of trauma, they also helped me learn what I needed to work on in order to to work in a relationship because I realized that, for example, I did not know how to place any limits. I did not know how to protect myself because I grew up with the idea that you sort of just give in, you just give yourself into love completely. Mm -hmm. And not necessarily, you know, love, I think the closest, if you ask me again, you know, what is love? I think the closest I could come to, to a definition of it is that it's teamwork, you know, and like in all teams, the, the players have to work together to score a goal. Yeah. So, Uh, But I don't think I can go further than that because I haven't found it. Mm -hmm. And I've learned, you know, through those two relationships, I think the biggest lesson I've learned is that as much as you can love somebody and have trust in them, you also have to look out for yourself. That's one of the biggest lessons I've learned. Mm -hmm. And I've learned what I don't want in a relationship and what is not healthy. I've learned that love is not a place where you have to beg for scraps. Love is not a place where you feel scared or you have to walk on eggshells. where you feel like you're the only one pulling the strength to make it work. Love is not all those things that sometimes we see in movies that it has to be selfless. I don't think you need to lose yourself to give yourself into love. Mm -hmm. And I also don't think that love is completely unconditional. I think that you have to place conditions for it to work because, I mean, teams have conditions, right? Yeah. So I think... We need a different definition of what unconditional love is, because I don't think it can be truly unconditional. So it's definitely, it's been a very, for me, it's opened my eyes into what I need and most definitely what I needed to work on myself Mm -hmm. so that I could work with somebody without placing myself where I didn't want to be. Yeah. It's so, I'm going to kind of, I have to put this in quotes for Nanda because the, the thing about the team, and I so agree with this and what I, it's so interesting because that even the thought of like seeing love as conditional would have like been a no, no for me, even in like my past relationship. And I don't know what it is, but for me, the basic understanding I have of it is like the pe- the two people need to meet in the middle. Like you have your life, you live your life, you do your thing. The other person does their thing and you meet in the middle. That's the basic expectation. And that ties into the whole conditionality in love. You cannot bring your best self if you're not watering yourself outside of that relationship. But I know you mentioned your two relationships and to kind of put it in very like blunt way, like take us through those relationships if in in whatever capacity you feel comfortable in. Like, what was it like? How did like, say, I suppose 
what was your outlook going into it? Because I know you said that growing up, your understanding of love was very much like, I'm a princess that needs saving. So I am assuming at this point that the first relationship you went in, that was your idea going into that relationship. It definitely was. I mean, I grew up, I had a lot of trauma growing up. I went through a lot of hard stuff in school. I went through a lot of bullying. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up with a very low self-esteem and that creates, you know, when you grow up with a low self-esteem and then you watch Disney movies like The Princesses, it creates yeah. this character almost. Mm -hmm. uh, I, can, I can say now that the most definitely wasn't myself, you know, that was something that I created to protect myself in that moment. Yeah. And so, you know, I'd had relationships before those two, but that that first one of the two, it was my first, you know, serious relationship as an adult. Mm -hmm. I was already in college. I had just come back from living in Australia. And there was this guy who was one of my closest friends. And so he basically came up to me and he told me that he was in love with me, you know. And at the time, he being the best friend of my best friend, coming back from Australia and knowing that he'd been waiting for me all the time and that he'd been, uh, you know, uh, looking for me, you know, all those years. Mm -hmm. um, it just sort of seemed like the perfect love story because it, it's what I'd seen in the movie. So yeah. I was just like, well, this is absolutely <laughs> perfect. So I came back and I think it hadn't even been a week since I'd been home that he asked me out. And we pretty much, I mean, I remember the first, uh, so one of the first times that we went out, he, he'd already told me that he loved me. And, you know, like if that happened to me now, I'd be like, okay, this is going really fast. You know, yeah. but at the time I did not understand that. So it became really, really consuming, really, really fast. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, at that time I came back from Australia, I went through a really, um, well, not traumatizing, but I went through a lot in Australia. It was a lot of growing up. I was living alone for the first time in my life, meeting a whole lot, lot of new people that were so different from me. And it was the first time that I really, you know, dated completely freely without my parents looking after me. Mm -hmm. So I came back and I was definitely in a vulnerable place. So when I, I went with him, I just completely gave myself in because it just felt so natural because he was one of my closest friends. and. At the time, you know, I just thought this is safe. This is secure. This is good. This is yeah. what you look at in the movies and we're going to end up married in 10 years and it's going to be the perfect love story. Yeah. And with time, you know, all these things, uh, it became a bit of a snowball. I realized, well, I didn't know this until after the relationship ended, mm -hmm. but he started becoming, you know, very controlling he was a guy who unfortunately had a lot of issues that he was not willing to work on. You know, one of those people that says therapy is for, for crazy people, you know? Yeah. So he wasn't willing to work on any of that. And he put that on me. So it became, there was a point in a relationship where it became abusive, mostly mentally. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of psychological abuse, verbal abuse. Every time he would drink, we would get into really big fights over the stupidest things. I mean, we talked about this last time, uh, the tattoo thing where he was angry with me because I didn't have a tattoo of him and he felt like he wasn't a part of my life because of that. So it became really controlling. And I realized this after we broke up that I hadn't seen my friends in eight months. I barely spoke to my parents. I was never at home. I mean, I was completely isolated. So there was no reference for me to say, you know, this is not okay. I didn't yeah. have anybody in my life at that point. So uh, fortunately, he got into this program to go away to Europe to do some diploma thing. Mm -hmm. And it was during that time I started a new job as part of my, my bachelor's degree. Yeah. And it started, you know, sort of taking me away from talking to him all the time and just being with other people that told me, you know, it's not normal that you have to drop everything and answer the phone with so much fear in you when he calls you. And so, you know, slowly I started realizing all these things and it became, you know, I tried for three months to break up with him and I couldn't because he would tell me things like, if you, if you leave me, I don't know what I'm going to do. I might hurt myself. I might hurt somebody. So in a way, you know, I felt like I was responsible for him because he made me, he, he would tell me that I was his medicine. So it became a thing where I just couldn't let go. And also because I was very afraid because, you know, I grew up in this social circle in Mexico where it's very, you know, in Mexico, there's still this taboo where if you don't get married, you're like, you know, weird. So it was like this fear, you know, nobody's loved me like he has. Mm -hmm. 
uh, before. So if I lose him, I might not find that again. And then also from him telling me, you know, I, of course, during our relationship, I told him about all that trauma that I, that I went through before and some other things that happened to me. And he would tell me, you know, nobody's going to be able to love you knowing those things about you. I'm the only one. So it was really hard for me to let go because I didn't have, you know, that, that capacity to say I am enough and I can find somebody else and there's not a problem with me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everyone has to work through stuff that doesn't make you unlovable. And so when I was finally able to break it off, you know, there was a lot of PTSD to go through. There was a lot of anger, a lot of grief. There was also a lot. I felt guilty for, for leaving him for the longest time. It was, I felt like a horrible person and it was really, really difficult. And then a couple of months after this guy comes into my life out of nowhere and he seemed, you know, like my Prince Charming, you know, like after I went through that really bad thing, this is yeah. the guy that's going to save me, the damsel in distress. Yeah. And so I jumped right into it right away. And I told, he knew the story about, you know, the last boyfriend. And he would tell me, you know, I'm going to love you like you deserve to be loved. I'm going to take care of you. Mm-hmm. And then it turned out that he had been lying to me and cheating on me for months. And so, of course, that gives you like this other part of not being able to trust yourself, not being able to trust your instincts of doubting everything, trust issues. And so it just became this snowball effect that eventually just threw me into this. It was really a pit of despair, honestly, at one point that I really had to fight my way to get back out of. And during that fighting back out of it, I realized that. As much as I had been in love with somebody, there wasn't love in those relationships because there's a difference between being in love and finding love yeah. uh, because you can fall in love with a person and have it be unrequited, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. being with somebody and being in love with them doesn't necessarily mean that you found love. And I understood that I didn't really understand what I needed. I didn't know how to place limits. I think that's the biggest lesson that I took from from those two relationships that I didn't know how to say, stop, this is not okay with me. This is hurting me. This is not good. Or we need to work on this because I was too afraid of losing love. So I was just afraid of being alone. And it, it really put me into the situation that I just couldn't dig myself out of for the longest time until suddenly I don't know why, <laughs> but I was able to. And it's, you know, I think to this day, I'm still working on that, honestly. There's so much to unpack there. But it does need to be said, and this maybe applies to both the relationships, but more specifically about the first one, because in just like listening to that, and I'm curious to know what your like reflection on that relationship was in hindsight, because I, I know you mentioned kind of like it was only now that you can reflect it and realize like there were no like limits that you placed and there were no boundaries. And how was what was your experience of unpacking that and like? How how did you get to a place of like because you can talk about it now, but I'm sure like days after or weeks after <laughs> I the breakup. For the longest time. Yeah, exactly. So how what was that process like? It was really, really hard because there was a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder that mm-hmm. I still, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder is not something that goes away. You deal with it in to some extent every day of your life. It's you treat it, but then you know there are triggers all the time. So it was a lot of therapy that I had to go through. And I mean, even last year, I was still in therapy for that. And I think, you know, I might even go back to it. It was one time in my life, you know, I think it's sort of a bit of a cycle uh, that you go through. But from the first relationship, especially, it was really hard to, to put myself in a place where I didn't blame myself because I was gaslighted a lot. And During this relationship, every time we would fight or every time there was something wrong, he would make it my fault, you know? So it was like, oh, you don't have a tattoo of me. Then you're making me feel bad. And then I remember one time I told him, you're hurting me. And he told me, it hurts me that you tell me that I'm hurting you. And it was always like this. It was always, always like this. And there was this one time when we had a really massive fight, I think probably the worst one. And I broke up with him that time. And I went back to him the day after because I was so afraid where I was crying. I was a complete mess. He had been really violent with me. And I remember he laughed and he smiled and he said, I love knowing that I have this much control over you. I mean, it was, it was absolutely terrifying. Right. And I went back to him still because I was just so deathly afraid of being alone. 
And so there was just this, you know, every single time it was, everything was my fault. So he felt we would have fights, for example. So he would feel, he would make me feel bad because I'd been with somebody else before him, even though he'd been with other people, but you know, it was only my fault. And he would cry for days. He wouldn't talk to me. It was just like, I was the villain making him feel bad every step in our relationship, even though I really wasn't. And so by the end we broke up, you know, I felt when I finally was able to end it and cut off contact with him. There were a, f- uh, there were a lot of months that before I started properly going to therapy that I had to fight this urge to go back to him because I felt like I was wrong and maybe I had exaggerated things mm-hmm. that maybe I had made it up in my mind. So it was really hard to get to a point to say, I did not make that up. You know, like I, yeah. I lived it. He hurt me uh, physically and verbally yeah. and yeah. it was real. You know, uh, it really makes you doubt your sanity. It's, it's a horrible, horrible thing. And um, with the second relationship, obviously you bring all that into into this next relationship because I hadn't done as much work. I mean, it was only seven months, I think, since I had broken up. So definitely in the second relationship, there was this, you know, this guy is going to save me. My past relationship, he was a villain and this is my prince coming to treat me like I should be treated like a princess. And he would tell me those things. And in a way, it was also a little bit of gaslighting because he would tell me these things like, oh, I'm going to love you, right? I'm not going to hurt you. And then it turns out that he was cheating on me and I confronted him about it. And he told me, well, I never said that we were in an exclusive relationship. And I was like, oh, my God. Are you kidding me? You've been saying it all this time. Like, what the hell? And it definitely, like, for me, it made me reevaluate, you know, like, did I misinterpret things? Did, Did I maybe, you know, not listen? Was it my fault that I get myself into this? And, you know, now I can look back and say, no, this guy is a douchebag and he lied to me. (laughs) But at the time, it was definitely like I felt like I couldn't trust myself. So it was definitely a very hard process that to realize, you know, that I needed to learn to place boundaries and to not let myself fall into a place like that again. And to just really be able to stand up for myself and to and, you know, as much as love can you're supposed to be, you know, selfless and you have to care about the other person. Sometimes if that person is hurting you, it's okay to put mm-hmm. yourself first. Sometimes you have to be selfish in love. And um, I think, you know, unpacking that in therapy, it was really, really, really hard. I mean, I had to, I tried hypnosis at one point because, well, something, my, one of my mechanism of defense is just uh, forgetting everything. I basically just start forgetting names, things that happen and stuff like that. Okay. So I knew that for me to be able to learn from this, I needed to remember. So it was a lot of working, you know, learning not to deal with trauma by forgetting it, but learning from it. Uh, With the second relationship, I, it's going to sound really crazy, but I had to go through this thing called a temascal, which is, uh, it's basically like an ancestral sauna thing that they do, that they used to do in pre-Hispanic cultures. And you go into uh, this hut they bring in hot rocks and they throw tea on them and you go into the vapor lasts for about four hours. And it's a very spiritual process. And I was really broken from the second relationship because it felt like the end of the world for me, you know, like the first guy was a villain and then the prince that was supposed to be the prince turned out to be a villain as well. And so I went there and they have, I don't want to call her a witch. It's a shaman. Okay. Like a priestess, I guess would be the closest thing to it. And they do cleanses. So I remember I stood in this black circle of charcoal and they put a hood on the, over my head and they set it on fire and it wouldn't come together, the flames. And they were like, there's something broken in you. Mm-hmm. So once I went into the hut with the vapor, we did this exercise with the priestess where I had to hold her hands while everyone else was chanting around this. And she told me, leave here everything that you don't want to bring back home with you. Just leave it here in the fire. And I think it took me about an hour and a half to let go of her hands because I was trying to let go of him and I couldn't, I couldn't let go of him. It took me about a half an hour uh, extra than it should have maybe. (laughs) Um, An hour is usually what it takes to go through that exercise because you do like flowers and stuff, but I couldn't let go. I remember I was shaking. I was crying. My mom's, uh, my mom was there and she like, she was terrified. She thought I was going to die or something. And I 
physically, I couldn't let go of her hands because I was so terrified of losing love until at one point I did. And I definitely, I mean, that was a big moment for me of saying, you know, this is not something that I want. It might not be real. It might be, I don't know. But for me, as a physical process of, you know, actually letting go, like I was holding his hands and letting him go, even though it wasn't him. Yeah physical act of doing so was definitely very important because I also left a lot of the first relationship in that place. And I think everybody deals with trauma differently, but I definitely do think that for me, the physicality of letting go was a major thing in letting go of all that trauma from those two relationships and being able to move forward and say, this has happened to me. I I don't want to erase it, but Mm -hmm. I don't want it in my life anymore. Yeah. That experience I've never heard of anything like that, but just from what you've said there, it sounds very emotionally charged. Yeah. You feel drained the next day. I mean, I remember the next day I couldn't get up from bed. I was dehydrated. I had the most awful headache I've ever had in my life. I physically, I couldn't move just because of the drainage of an experience like that. How did you feel? And not just maybe the day after, because obviously... It's, it is draining, but in, in the aftermath of, say, that experience, right? How, how, how did you feel? Was there a moment? Was there a few moments where you were like, you know what? I don't know if this is the best way of saying it, but like it worked. Whatever I've been carrying with me, I feel like there's a significant shift. Was there like a few moments, a moment? Like what was the aftermath of that process? Well, I felt very liberated as soon as I came out of that place. Mm-hmm. I just felt like the weight had been lifted off my shoulders. Maybe it was the crying, <laughs> maybe yeah. it was the sweating. I don't yeah. know, but I felt liberated. <laughs> and one of the things I learned in that moment is that it's okay to let go. And once I learned that, you know, it was so much easier to see with clarity and look back in that relationship without feeling guilt, without feeling like I was being too immature about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think definitely there was a time of clarity in being inside of the hut where I looked back on everything because something that happens when you're in there, you're in total darkness, mm-hmm. even though the, the rocks are on fire, you don't really see anything. Okay. And everyone's chanting and your mind sort of goes to another place and you revisit what you went there to work on. Yeah. And so I, I went through the entire relationship, both of them in that place and I think when I came out you know I was able to see that there wasn't a problem with me of course I had the things I had to work on myself but I wasn't the villain in the relationship and I realized that I was really hurt because I didn't think I deserved to feel hurt so I think after I came out of that you know going back to regular therapy Mm -hmm. I came to a place eventually where I was able to say you know I I lived through this and I learned so much and I just have to make sure that I don't end up there again. So it's been, you know, a lot of the the placing limits thing is not just related to my relationships. You know, I realized from that experience in the hut and everything that not being able to place limits is something that I've been unable to do in all areas of my life at work with friends, with family. Mm -hmm. I've never been able to do that. And so it's just something that I've had to work on. And what we were talking about before we we started recording, me leaving this job now is part of that. You know, before uh, the girl that I was before would have stayed in this job, even though she was miserable at it and being completely exploited, she would have stayed there because, you know, she wouldn't have known what else to do. And now I can say, you know, this is not okay. This is not healthy for me. I don't want this, which is something that I wasn't able to do before. And you know, growing up the way I did and with the beliefs that I had about romantic love, for me, it was a bit of a catalyst. It was a bit of a slap in the face, you know, wake up. You know, This is not what love is. What you saw in the movies is not what love is. So it was definitely like a, just reality coming to tell me, you know, you need to, to figure out what you want in your life. This, this is one of the questions <laughs> that I put up on the thing. If you could 
tell. Like, you were 15, 14. I know we talked about this. But like, we'll say somewhere between 14 and 15 when I met you <laughs> for the first time. If you could tell something or anything, like you had, you had 10, 15 minutes to tell baby Fernanda something about love, relationships, in hindsight, obviously, this is all in hindsight. Yeah. What would you? Like, what, what would be the thing? Like, you've, you've just managed to time travel. You can do this now. Well, first of all, that would be really cool. <laughs> um, I think I would tell her that love is not something you have to beg for. Yeah. I think that would be the first thing. Love is not something that, you know, you need to fight your way through all these challenges. I mean, it not, love shouldn't be so hard. If there's love, there's love. Yeah. And of course, in every relationship, you have to work through things. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean it's a battlefield all the time, you know? And I think that was my biggest thing when, when I met you when we were younger. I, I was begging for love. I, I mean, you remember, I was pining after the guy that, you know, had no idea I existed. <laughs> oh, God. And basically just <laughs> taking every opportunity that I could to make him see me because I felt like I could get him to fall in love with me that way, you know? And I was begging for scraps. And mm-hmm. I think even if I had achieved my my mission and I... He had noticed me and, and we had gotten together. I think even then I would have still been begging for scraps yeah. because I would have been giving so much more than he would have been willing to give to me. Yeah. And so I think that would be the biggest thing that I would say to myself. You were begging for scraps when you deserved a full like four course meal. Yeah, you deserve what you put into a relationship, yeah. right? I mean, like we said, it, it's it's teamwork. And it is. It, if say you're pulling a rope, mm-hmm. if one person is pulling and the other is pushing, you're going to fall off the cliff. Yes. But if both persons are pulling, you're not going to fall off. It's simple as that. Yeah. It's, it's the equal effort. Exactly. The, the balancing act. I think that's, that's what yeah. it is. What was it? Was it a stack of leaves where you were trying to move? What was it? Do you, do you want to maybe tell <laughs> oh, us that? If you, no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, the stack of leaves was one part of it. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the many, <laughs> the many like uh, matches, the classes, the oh, the, the, the dinner, I, I lunch, all of that. <laughs> I used to carry around this book, the freaks of being a wallflower, because you know I thought it was a wallflower at the time, because you know, <laughs> of course I did. <laughs> 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 we would have science class and he would sit on the desk right behind me. Mm-hmm. And so I would make sure I put it right next to me where he could see it. So that he'd be like, oh, she's a romantic and she reads. Classic move. <laughs> but the leaf pile, I mean, oh my God, that's so embarrassing. <laughs> and you guys all helped me with it. I mean, <laughs> none of you stopped me. None of you stopped me. <laughs> I mean, if we would have stopped you, would we be talking about it today? I don't think so. <laughs> like... That's hilarious. I don't think I don't think people know what we're talking about, so I'll just explain it real quick. We were living in Canada, and it was fall. And, of course, you know, the trees are pretty and red and orange and stuff. And there were leaf piles right outside the dormitories. And so we started playing in them, and there was this guy that I like. I'm going to call him Alex just for the sake of anonymity. Yeah, we'll call him Alex. So I was like, oh, we should tell him to come play with us. And mind you, we were 15 at the time. Like, it was ridiculous how big we were to be playing in the Romance makes us do weird things. (laughs) We were tackling each other in the leaves. You know, I was trying to tackle him or to get him to tackle me. So we would have like a moment where I'm like on the ground and he would be looking down at me and we would have our kiss, you know? (laughs) It was just absolutely ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, that is. What what are some of the other like awkward or weird or like funny moments that you've had in like wooing people in your romantic journey? My favorite one, this is Go my on. favorite one. I don't remember how young I was, but I was really young. I don't think I was even maybe, I was maybe 12, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe even younger. But I went to the summer camp here in the city in a farm. Mm-hmm. And so it was like a week long thing. I, I, I think I don't remember quite well. And there was this one guy that I really, really liked. And so on the last day of the summer camp, he asked me to go to the duck park with him to feed the ducks. And that was like my very first date of my life, you know. And I was like, okay, let's go see the ducks, blah, blah, blah. And then my parents arrived to pick me up from the summer camp. Mm-hmm. And I say goodbye to him. I start walking towards a car and he's still in the park thing and I'm in the parking lot and I know he can see me. And so I'm like, oh, he can see me from there. So I start, you know, like strutting around like, oh, <laughs> I crashed into a tree. 
fell back in a puddle of mud. I was wearing white pants. <laughs> and then I was, I was mortified. I mean, I was like, this is the end of my life. Like, this is it for me. This, this is where I want to die. Like, oh my God. God. It was so embarrassing. <laughs> oh my God. I full on crashed into a tree <laughs> trying to woo this guy. <laughs> That's that's something i'd say yeah and it's not i i don't think it's not just the tree not the fact that you bumped into the tree it's the it's the fall into mud after oh my god with yeah. wearing like and white I trousers i never saw him again after that but i know he was looking i mean <laughs> oh my god yeah i wonder what he would think if he saw you now he's like oh that oh. girl white pants mud <laughs> i hope he doesn't remember i mean it was so funny. Oh. I have a similar one, a little Don't. bit older. I was skiing in... How uh, much older? Up. That's the thing. I think I might have been... It might have been around the time when I came back from Stansted. Okay, so you were skiing. Or, yeah, I think it was after. And I was skiing in this place, I think it was Vale. Okay. And it was really icy. Mm-hmm. And so I went off the lift and there was this big track. And you could go off to the side into this uh, sort of a little track between the trees that was really beautiful and it was quite, kind of bumpy but a lot of fun yeah. and I would always go there but it was really icy so I got off the lift and I go to the entrance of this side track mm-hmm. and one of the guys from the ski patrol was there and he was a gorgeous I mean he was gorgeous okay yeah. <laughs> and, I'll so, and he was like it's very icy be careful and I was like I got this three meters after that <laughs> my skis just go to the side <laughs> I like I don't know what happened. Like I just started flipping all over the place and I ended up like stuck on a tree, my one ski on my foot and the other one just like 10 meters away. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, okay. And he was like, are you okay? And I was like, I'm fine. I got this. Did you see him again? Oh no, thankfully. Yeah, okay. I <laughs> okay. So, so that's, I'm, I'm noting these down. Okay. For chase the guy <laughs> at this place. Yeah, no, it, it, I, it would be interesting to see, like come across. It would people. be really funny. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because I look so different too. Like physically, oh, it yeah. Would be so yeah, it's been a while. In fact, yeah. <laughs> God, I think we all did. The last time we spoke, I yeah. shared a picture with you. I'll see if I can include this in the I show. Mean, I bet you've got a beard. Yeah. Oh my God, <laughs> I am so glad I have a beard. Um, if I shave it off today, I look the same. Here's the thing: if I shave it off today, I look the same. That that baby face has been kept away, uh, and I'm so glad. <laughs> God. Um, yeah, we were so, we were kids. We were kids when we met. Yeah, we were. Such kids. I'm trying to think of stupid things I may have done, but like. You like, wrote me some letters. I did. Oh my God. This is, this is, okay. This would be the embarrassing story if I can pick one. And since you're the guest on, I had the biggest crush on Fernanda when we first met. And because I am a self-proclaimed writer, I ended up <laughs> writing a poem. This was the day after the lake. So for stands there. Uh, we used I to have. Like, you yeah. gave me your shirt. Yeah, I, I did. I did. And uh, we we went for the day at the lake. We came back. And I was like, this person seems cute. I didn't know. Like, I I was fifteen, so like everything was haywire. I was like, you know what? Best way. And because that was my model of love. We we were talking about models of love, and my model of love was you you woo the girl. Like Bollywood didn't do me any favors. Neither did Enrique Iglesias. <laughs> and fuck. <laughs> Fuck all the movies that I ever watched. So my models were screwed up. So <laughs> my idea was write them a poem to woo them, then like relentlessly chase them to make sure that they reciprocate. And if none of this happens, just cry. So those were my models. So anyway, I wrote Fernanda this poem. I don't even know what that poem was now. Um, I think but, I, I have the letter. I probably still have the yes. poem. So, so with, the, with the letters, it took me a lot of growing up to realize that, and this doesn't take anything away from like my crush on you, but I think it took me a lot of growing up to realize that maybe perhaps a lot of what I thought I fancied was my own projections. Yeah. Um, and that has been a major like process of me trying to understand love as well, or like attraction as well, of like knowing what I'm projecting and what it actually is. And like, what do you know when you're 15 is basically like you were rolling about in the leaves. I was writing you poems. We were all just like hormonal horny messes. That's what we were. The other day we talked about this, that it was really funny because I was pining after this guy so hard all the time. 
Yeah. And there oh were like God. another 15 guys that wanted to. <laughs> we counted. We counted seven was, guys who were all competing for Fernandez's attention. <laughs> and I was so obsessed with this guy that I just, I never realized yeah. that other guys liked me. So when I came back from Sunset, I was like, oh, nobody loves me. Yeah. The, the second time we met, which is like still six years back, I was like, yes, I mean, it, it was like, it's, I don't, the, 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 I have this thing actually, I'll, I'll send, I'll, I'll, it'll be interesting to see what your take on this is. But like, I was in class, I was supervising a bunch of grade 11s, I think. And we, we were still talking about you coming over. I was like, okay, I know where I draw the line. So I, I already started thinking about it. So part of me was like, yes, I can be a friend to this person. I don't think, I, I would have been very like creepy had I not gotten to that place. But like there, there was a place where I was like, yes, I can be a friend to them. But because like the last time I was ever in Stansted and you were there, I had a crush on you. It was like, is that still there? And so big part of, and I'm truly grateful that we had that because I don't think I could have moved to a place of friendship had that not happened. Because I think the second time you showed up, I was like, fuck all of that. Like maybe it's there, maybe it doesn't, doesn't matter. What matters right now is here is somebody who gets me as a person and I'm glad I had you. I'm glad I had my housemate at the time as well. And the, the, the big takeaway, and we had a, it's so symbolic that we had that as well, the final day at the lake as well, where you were there. And what I'm so truly glad about that is we had a moment of like the first day of the lake, I was really pining for this girl. But the last day on the lake, I was like, I'm so glad I have a fucking friend here because this it's something I hold about our friendship. I really do. And I said this to you right before we started recording, but I said this to you every time we've spoken because we don't speak every day. Like, sure, we see each other on like what's happening on social media, but our means of communication isn't like, hey, Fernanda, it's been a week. Yeah, what's going I mean, on? I think before we talked the other time, we yeah. hadn't spoken in a year. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we texted, but like not like anything significant. Yeah. But what what it, it it surprises me. And I've there's very few people in the world who I have this with this feeling of I may have not spoken to you for a year. But the moment we do is like, here's this person gets me in a way. Very few friendships do. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's been six years. So ideally, I'd like to see you now. <laughs> but even if I don't say this takes another couple of years, I know like the next time we see each other or talk to each other, there is that very significant foundation of a friendship because it's not built on these weird expectations. You and I have gotten, both gotten very good at like, placing our limits and our boundaries of what we invite. But I think, and this is the best way I can describe it. You're always on the ringside cheering me on and I'm doing the same for you. Yeah. And that's what our friendship is. We've grown so much. I mean, it's always incredible to me just how easy it is to talk about after so many years, because, you know, I went to Stansted, I was there for a year. Yeah. And I've been away since then again, living somewhere else. I went to Australia for a while and I met so many people, but there's, I, don't haven't found anyone that I think I have a connection you know like you and I have where I can say you know if I don't talk to them in three years mm -hmm. then I know when we'll talk it'll be like we talked yesterday there's very few people that I can I think I don't even I can like feel a hand yeah. by the people that I have that with you know so it's it's really incredible and I think it's also funny you know speaking about love models and all because you and I definitely started out in this place where you had a crush on me, I had a crush on this other guy. I mean, there was definitely that part. Weird of, love triangle. Of, of this, Alex exactly. had a crush on me. It was weird. <laughs> exactly. I mean, this was this. There was definitely a romantic part of our relationship yes. at one point. Yes. Even yes. though we were never together or anything, yeah. and the fact that we were able to grow from that, because people, you know, they say that once you have feelings for somebody, you can move on from that. I don't believe in that. No. And I think it's a great example of just how much we've grown and learned about what we want in our relationships, regardless if they're romantic or not romantic, or just the kind of people that we want in our lives. Because I think romantic relationships teach you a lot about your normal relationships as well. They do. They really do. Yeah. What it's it's so interesting that you said that. Because and I, I have to be very honest. There's a whole episode where I've talked about my own journey of love. Right. It's episode one. So you've all heard it if you're here. But I genuinely think it took me that entire journey to even get to a place because I know I couldn't have been a friend to you had I still held that. So so what you said there about having a history of a romantic relationship or like romantic inclination, even if it's platonic, if it's both ways, whatever. For me, that love changed, right? Um, yeah. 
because, and this, this is the honest truth. I had a very clear choice on the day on my, off my gap year, when you showed up for the, we went for a subway, that fucking pizza sub. I've never found that oh, pizza sub anywhere else. <laughs> yeah. God, they're so good. I miss them. I really do. They're I, so good. They're amazing. They're the best thing in the world. Yeah. I mean, I hope no chefs will be hearing this. <laughs> <laughs> but it is the best fucking oh, thing really in the is. world. It, it really <laughs> is. Uh, because that's the first thing we did. I finished with class. There was lunch happening and you were yeah. like, nah, we're going for the pizza sub. <laughs> and that day when you showed up, I had a very clear choice, right? I mean, I don't remember clear this day, but I remember having this very clear choice. I can continue to obsess about this crush that I had on this person, or I can take all of that and move forward with it, right? Yeah. And I'd already done enough work on it. Like it'd been so many years since that had happened. Like it'd been three years since that as well. And like, we'd both grown up in that. And I'm glad I made the second choice, right? Because we wouldn't be here having that conversation today. And for me, it was, you know, when I came to Stansted, I grew up in an all girls school. So it was my first experience of Mm -hmm. meeting boys. And, you know, obviously when you come from an all girls school and you start hanging out with boys, it's very confusing. All seven of us pining for you. (laughs) (laughs) so it was definitely you know it was very uh it wasn't really you know in the grand spectrum of things it wasn't complicated but at the time where I was it was very complicated you know dealing with my own feelings and then the feelings of everybody else towards me and then you know it was it was very overwhelming and I think you know I learned so much from that that you know just grown up and I can look back on that and say you know it really is not that complicated. You made so many great friends. Yeah. I mean, I still think to this day that my friends from Stansted, even I, you know, I've only been with you physically for a year, yeah. are my closest friends in my life. And there's a lot of that, you know, it's, there's a lot of emotions charged into that because of the place where I was in romantically with myself and with others yeah. and trying yeah. to figure out where I stood in, in the, you know, boy-girl relationship. Yeah. So it's it's very interesting to see that journey from there. I'm going to use what you said of like what you learn in a romantic relationship translates very significantly to relationships outside of romance, right? So I'm going to use that and just say our capacity of coming to a place. And this is, this is my hot take, one of the hot takes on why our friendship works. You and I are willing to meet in the middle for our friendship, whenever yeah. that leads to. And what I love, and this is what I love about our friendship. I'm so looking forward to when we get to see each other again, because it'd be so much fun. Because you are living a life that fulfills you outside of everything, right? I am so proud to see the person you are because you've actively built a life. And I've seen you in those phases when you were out of the relationship, when Fernanda vanished from the face of the earth for a good while, to when you came back. And I've seen you follow these things that bring you joy. When you told me you're quitting your job, it's incredible because that's you saying this doesn't add to me, so it doesn't belong with me. And so you're actively cultivating a life that fulfills you. And I'd like to think I'm doing the same for myself. So when we come in for a friendship, obviously, if shit hits the fan and if we reach out to other, there's that. But there's also positivity that we bring to you. It's a friendship. Definitely. You add to the friendship. I add to the friendship. And we both get something out of it. To, to, to wrap it up and to put a little bow on it. And I, 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 I'm interested to see what the answer here is. We've talked about what you would tell Fernando 10 years, five years in the past. What are your hopes and dreams for yourself of the future? That's a very hard question, given that I've just quit my job. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm kind of like rudderless right now. I have no idea where I'm going. (laughs) But, um, you know, you've always known this. My dream is to work in National Geographic one day. I mean, that's the dream. Um, But speaking, you know, from the topics that we're speaking now, Finding love used to be a major priority for me before, you know, it was where where I found value in myself, romantic love. Yes. And that's become, you know, I look at it now and my parents hate this, but, you know, I don't want to have your conventional life where here in Mexico, you know, you go to college, you meet a man, you get married, you have kids, you live a a normal life. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. But you know, that's not the life I want. I, you know, I'm a scuba diver, you know, I want to go and live in Tibet one day and like go climb Everest another day. (laughs) Like I want to be everywhere. And so like for me in love wise, you know, I'm at a point in my life where I can say in complete, you know, content that 
if it happens, well, great. You know, I'm going to love that person so much and I know they're going to love me back and it's going to be amazing. But if it doesn't, you know, I'm, I'm enough for myself and I'm happy with what I do. And I love what I do so much that it's not a necessity where I feel like, what if I don't get married by the time I'm 30, you know, Mm -hmm. like, it's just, if I don't get married, I don't get married, you know, and if I do, well, that's going to be amazing. So, and it's taken, I mean, you've known me for these 10 years, you know, how long it's taken me for me to get there because I used to be all about finding that. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, I realized that if you're actively, you know, just pining for romantic love, you're not going to find it because you're just, you're more in love with the idea of, of the love and the relationship than with the person itself, you know? Yeah. So right now I am in love with my life. I'm in love with myself. And I can say that, and I can say, you know, if somebody is going to come into my life and I'm going to share that with him or with her, well, amazing. Yeah. And if I don't, I still love, I still have something to love. And I have, you know, it's obviously my job doesn't love me, but it, you know, it's like, yeah. it's, you know, you understand what I mean. Yes. Um, so there's definitely, you know, a, a great, I think, hope in that, you know, I don't feel the need to beg for scraps anymore. Like we said before, like, yeah. I know where I stand, I'm, I'm doing what I love and I hope I get to share it with somebody, but if I don't, it doesn't make me less of a person. It doesn't, you know, take away from anything. I know how long it's taking you to get to that place. So yeah. that's fucking ah, beautiful to hear. <laughs> yeah, to, to future Fernanda, if you're listening to this, I just hope you have a life that fulfills you and brings you joy. And uh, whether you're in love with someone or just love with yourself, yeah, I just hope you're, I don't know, a spy somewhere running the world, <laughs> taking photographs. While, yeah, yeah, while you say you work for Nadia, for any, yeah, just, just in case anybody's wondering why I brought the spy when I first met Fernanda. That would be Fernanda. Like another dream. I want to be <laughs> yeah, a spy. Yeah, she really wanted to be a spy. <laughs> if the FBI or the CIA is listening, we're kidding. <laughs> yes, yes, we are. Um, I don't know why you'd be listening to this, but fair play to you if you are. But uh, yeah, future Fernanda, I just hope you're living a life that that, uh, you, that makes you happy and makes you feel <laughs> That's all I'll ever want for you. And to present Fernanda, thank you so fucking much for tuning in. Um, I don't know what I get to see you next, but whenever that is, I cannot fucking wait. Um, and yeah, super awesome for doing this. Thanks so much for having me. Once again, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. We have our last episode out next week for this season. And I really hope you tune in and thank you so much for joining us today. I'll see you next time.